0: final chapter in the Incredible Ape Saga. There it is, our wars. This is the hell my forefathers used to speak about.
1: This background radiation alone will give us 300 rentgens an hour.
0: The battlefield, a dead city 12 years after the ultimate bomb has been dropped. The prize, the right to inherit what's left of the earth. The contestants, ape against man. The most unbelievable showdown ever filmed. As the mutants, strange transformed men who live underground like moles, battle the apes to decide who will be master and who will be slain. They're getting away. Kill them. We will smash the human, and then
2: we will smash Peter! I don't want to have to remember my husband. I want to love him now.
0: But we who survive create a new race. In the aftermath of his victory, the surface of the world was ravaged by the vilest war in human history. Maxing the epic series which made motion picture history, comes the last, the most spectacular of all the ape adventures. No! Fight, Out of the Forbidden City they roared to settle once and for all who had the right to rule the planet, ape or man.
3: Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side, as always, in the command center. And circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And on this episode of Planet 8... Your intrepid crew is joined once again with our good friend, Lord Bloodraw. We're going to be taking a deep dive into the battle for the planet of the apes. Straight away, let's kick it up to the satellite. Walker, take it away.
2: All right. Thank you, Larry. Well, this is kind of momentous for us because we've been... Doing these reviews of all of the original Battle, I mean, Planet of the Apes films now for, uh, I think, every year of the podcast. Can that I be I believe true?
3: once, at least once a year, yeah.
2: Yeah. So, uh, finishing off the original five films, kind of a big deal here. And, of course, we've had Lord Blood Raw with us for, <laughs> for every film, thank- thankfully.
1: Planet and now everybody Apes can go best. eat with Planet 8.
4: Yeah. yeah, there you go. Planet Listen of the Apes marathon, was my first, my first geek love. Oh. Before, track before horror. It was Planet of the Apes. It really, mm-hmm. really fascinated me.
2: Well, and it was sort of the first franchise, I think, in, at least film-wise, I I guess. Well, you could maybe argue James Bond, but of, of the genre, of right. the sci-fi genre, certainly. So, uh, yeah, this is sort of a big deal here. Although, you know, it's pretty much considered the least of the the five films, but we'll we'll give it a, a good go here today. And I think it has some things that um uh, make it uh, enjoyable at the very at the very least. Sure. Um so yeah, this film came out in uh, on June 13th, 1973. And I know for me it was the first apes film I actually saw in a theater. I don't know about the rest of you.
4: You youngin' I saw the drive in. <laughs> Ah. quite quite kind of appropriately I think I think it's yeah. more of a drive-in film than the other than the other films in the series but yeah no I was big into the Apes
1: film so I saw them mm. all in the theater as they came mm. out
3: I I unfortunately not fortunate unfortunately but I saw them like dialing for dollars I think was uh <laughs> <Pat McCormick. laughs>
2: Actually, I'll amend that uh, my parents took me and my brother to the drive-in to see Planet of the Apes and mm. I fell asleep while they were walking through the desert, and I woke up as we were driving out of the drive in. So oh, <laughs> I didn't actually get to see Planet of the Apes, which I was. There wasn't a
1: whole lot of action in that movie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but, but, uh, so, you know, wrapping up the, the series, and they knew they were basically wrapping it up um, because they were kind of running out of steam on this. And so the the script writer that, who had written most of the, or I think most of the sequels, right? He, Paul Dinn had been yeah. on, certainly on Conquest and I think on Escape. And did he also do Beneath?
4: I, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: So he was going to work on this. He did create at least a, a pretty elaborate treatment, which I had not been aware of before. And I think Lord Bloodraw may be aware of some of this. Um, I was relying on this really excellent book by Joe Russo, Larry Landsman, and Ed Gross. It's called Planet of the Apes Revisited. I highly recommend this book. And basically, I'll give you kind of my abbreviated rundown of what this original script treatment was, which was quite different from what we got. But uh, it picks up like 13 years after conquest. Caesar is ruling over um, an ape city, but the humans in this city are much more um, they're treated much more like slaves than what we saw in the film. And uh, there's a council of eight apes that are under Caesar. So there's some chimps, there's some gorillas, there's some orangutans. And they're, you know, basically running the city. And then uh, this um, human scout from a city in the north is caught and uh, some communications ensue because he has uh, some sort of a communications device. And the ruler of the city there, don't laugh. His name is Nimrod, (laughs) the ruler of the city threatens if his the scout's not released. He's gonna drop a nuke on Ape City. And so, in um, Ape City in this treatment is actually, they've stayed in the city that was in conquest. So they're not out in the boonies, they're actually in a city. And so they take this very seriously and Caesar's like, well, I'm not gonna release him. I mean, he's much more hard headed and tough in this, this script. And so they go into these bomb shelters. Some of them, they leave some of the humans out and they only take some key figures some key humans with them and um they actually do uh, nuke the the city and so um after this caesar starts having these headaches um lisa is pregnant um there's a human spy that has worked his way into the the compound um Cornelius is born, but then this human spy switches these medications and it causes Lisa's death. Caesar goes kind of nuts. He's going to have all the humans made mute. And then he (laughs) (laughs) there's some weird stuff that goes on where they they um, use a device to make him hear Lisa's voice. And and Lisa's voice is saying, don't make the humans mute and all this other stuff. yeah, it's really trippy and so then he he races to um make sure that McDonald is not made mute. Um then there's a revolt, you know, that Aldo leads, Aldo's on the council and two other figures on the council. There's a chimpanzee named Pan who's a pacifist and an orangutan named Zeno who is a uh, who's a, uh, eventually will become the lawgiver. And so they're trying to work against Aldo um Aldo eventually shoots Caesar Um, all kinds of insanity ensues Um, the humans flee to the forest where eventually they will become the humans we see in Planet of the Apes and then uh, uh, Cornelius, their kid is taken back to the city and we assume he will grow up and lead them. But yeah, it's a much more violent and Um, (laughs) downbeat film than what we got
1: so they said you know here's your treatment for the film
2: (laughs) (laughs) right and 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 arthur p jacobs was like no we don't want to go with something this dark you know you need to rework it but paul dane got sick and he was like i can't work on it so they brought in the uh Corrington's John and Joyce who had written the script for the Omega Man and sort of were becoming known for science fiction I guess off of just one film they'd also worked on some movies for Roger Corman um of which I am not aware which ones they were but you know what I found interesting
3: Batman. is they'd not watched one of the eight <laughs> films when yes, they were- I, I had heard that yeah, <laughs> I'm like,
2: yeah. I think they, they
1: screened beneath for them I think so that was like it.
2: Yeah, that is interesting, right? Why would you hire these? Well, they seem like you know good people, whatever.
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so yeah, they they said they pretty much threw away everything from Paul Dane's script and kind of did their own thing. They saw the apes as being like innocents, and they you know wanted to do a story that was more sort of a Cain and Abel kind of thing with Caesar and Aldo and um yeah there was more an incorporation of some of the themes from beneath which i think tracks with uh what you're saying bob about them screening uh beneath for them and well, then after i'm,
4: I'm sorry but after no, go ahead conquest, go ahead after conquest which was very hard-edged and violent the studio was like well let's do something a little more family friendly right. by the time they started making battle they knew they were going to television
2: Exactly.
4: So they knew they had to. They had to kind of soften things a bit right. to kind of make the transition into television. So I would love to have seen the movie you described.
2: <laughs> I know. When, <laughs> wouldn't you like to go to an alternate earth and see oh, that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I know. I know. Like uh, one thing I had read, but I think this is actually in the treatment, like not that story, but the next treatment where when they go to the city, and the city's obviously irradiated, and then Caesar actually gets radiation poisoning, or not Caesar, Cornelius. Hmm. Caesar. Caesar. Caesar Caesar. Caesar gets radiation poisoning. So when he comes back, he's losing his hair and all this, and Aldo basically says that he's becoming more human. You know, he's becoming one of the humans because he's losing his fur and all that. But they cut that because of budget, obviously. They didn't want to make all these different masks and suits for Caesar where yeah. it was like less and less fur. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I thought, I thought that was interesting, but maybe a little too much for – yeah, I mean, they definitely wanted to go with the family slant. And then I had heard that Conquest was supposed to be the end, but it made some money, so then they, did, they decided, okay, we'll do the next one.
2: Dude, yeah. that's the yeah. legacy of interestingly
1: these apes enough was originally called rise of the planet of the apes mm-hmm. that's yeah. like the, the reboot but then they changed it to battle at some point but it's weird because it's not like a battle for the planet of the apes it's like a battle for like three tree houses in a little clearing
4: skirmish <laughs> the minor skirmish skirmish, yeah. Yeah. The skirmish,
1: for, the skirmish for the planet of the apes
2: Right, yeah right but yeah, there's there's a lot of things. Well, we can get into that yeah, yeah. as we talk through the film, but yeah. So the Corringtons put together their script, which you know was much much different, and then Paul Dane comes back in again uh, to do another rewrite. And so he claimed that he rewrote like ninety percent of the dialogue, and then added some things. The ending is definitely his ending because that ending is much more um dour with the statue and the tear and you know so it put it much more into doubt about whether oh yeah they're gonna get now we got another timeline and they're gonna live together happily it's like maybe maybe not
4: yeah this was the film that might have had a happy ending and then right at the end it's like nope none of these films have happy endings <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
1: Also, happy I think endings one of the all the kids fighting, like the apes and the and the humans, just like mm-hmm. not like a battle for the planet, but you know, they were just like, you know,
2: Played like at the end battle. of
1: the film. You see the one ape child and the one human child kind of push each other type of thing. Right. Right. This was supposed to be like a fight between the two sides, kind of thing.
3: we're, we're gonna end it on a nice somber nope ape will not kill ape unless they have to <laughs> but ape will kill ape
2: so yeah that is kind of how the uh, story got put together of course as we've all noted here uh much less budget depending yeah. what you're reading i it's like 1.2 million maybe up to 1.8 million but a lot less than any of the other films, which is why we get things like The School Bus and <laughs> some of the kind of obvious matte paintings and things like that.
1: Well, I had what, heard that what, it was like like a you know, the budget had been declining every film, but yeah. that this one was like maybe a tick or so up from Conquest.
2: Yeah, a little more than Conquest.
4: Yeah. You had the one exploding treehouse film from multiple angles and you could <laughs> explode like six or seven times. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that you had to give it to the the director he really i mean he made it look bigger than it actually was i mean there was only so much he could do but he filmed it on a scale uh he filmed it in a way that gave it scale that yeah. obviously wasn't there
3: oh yeah i, I agree i think yeah, for for the budget that he had, and you know, he made use of the actors. There were some very strong actors, obviously yes. Roddy McDowell, uh, but um, Andy Williams. I think this was his first credited. Was... Uh, well, yes, the the, right, Hughes, right.
4: Andy Williams. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I saw a
1: bear with some cookies in
3: the background. That was that alternative universe version we were talking about. Uh...
4: Yeah, Paul Williams did a very good job in that. Yeah. Very
3: yeah. good job. Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, yeah, and there was also a story where he was going to go on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and uh, he was filming that day. And you can look this up on YouTube. It's actually on YouTube. Mm-hmm. He was filming that day, and then he decided he was going to be cutting it too close. So he grabbed one of the makeup artists, and he went on The Tonight Show in his ape makeup yeah and I think Doc (laughs) Severinson knew about it but Johnny didn't and so he came out and he sang he sang a song and all that and Johnny's just cracking up through the whole thing
3: (laughs) yeah he uh he's in one of my favorite films The Phantom of Paradise also yes
2: yeah Yeah. didn't he write the music for that
3: I I believe so this was before yeah it was it was before
2: yeah. yeah, he was
1: writing. He was writing some songs for some movies for uh, for 20th Century Fox at the time, and uh, someone had just asked him if he wanted to come by the set, and then one thing led to another. And they asked him if he wanted to be an ape, and supposedly he was a big fan of the films, so he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll be an ape. I'll do it." And he got a pretty good, pretty good role out of it. Yeah, he really
4: did. He really did. Yeah. And Claude Akins as Aldo does a great. Oh film. yeah
2: he does a good job it's yeah. kind of a, oh he's not like the smartest guerrilla general we've ever seen but <laughs> no. he's he's really motivated
4: he's got some He's gr- really motivated <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's a far cry from ursus but yeah. yeah yeah he's really motivated
1: and then you've got what john houston is the lawgiver john Houston.
2: That's- like why, why is he here? And I, I watched <laughs> That's it, such a uh, small
1: role too. I mean, really, I mean, it's an important role, and yeah, he's in you know the beginning and the end. But
2: well, he has that great voice, mm-hmm. which you know you can recognize. And I watched a clip with um, John Landis, who we can also discuss. And he said, you know, he was sitting at a table. They had a break and they were eating, and there was this orangutan at the end of the table reading, you know, and he was just like. Not paying any attention to him. And then a assistant came up and said, uh, Mr. Houston, we're ready for you. And he's like, What? <laughs> like, that's John Houston. And he talked to him later and he was sort of like, Well, what are you doing here? And he's like, Kid, you take the money.
1: <laughs> I was like, take the money where you can get it.
2: Yeah. Just so surprising that he would be in a film like that. But yeah, he he's another one of those things that just adds a little bit of something extra to this film, which really uh, needs it. Yes,
4: yeah. yeah, and that's gravitas. I mean, you know, you've got you've got that voice and him being, you know, the lawgiver reading. The, it's, it, it works. It really works. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I was thinking about having that Caesar statue there at the end mm. and, and the beginning and whatever. It's supposedly in one of the drafts, it was supposed to be inferred that Caesar was actually the lawgiver. Like mm-hmm. the statue was Caesar all along. Mm-hmm.
4: But,
1: but obviously the first lawgiver statue did not look a whole lot like a chimp.
3: But. No. <laughs> you well, know who has who has those original statues if they if they still exist? Sitting in someone's collection or you know, Bob and I get a lot of those Halloween animatronics. I'd love to have a Zira animatronic for Halloween. Hello, bright eyes. (laughs) Okay,
2: maybe we need to veer the conversation back to the movie. Sorry. Um, (laughs) So um, the director, F. Lee, Jay Lee Thompson, sorry, also did Conquest. Um, Interesting that, yeah, he had much less to work with here. And I know he was not very pleased with the, the final results of this either. I mean, and you can look at it and say, yeah, Conquest is a, a much better film.
3: You know, well, didn't they sign him up with with no script and he agreed and then he said something well, like, well, I'll never do this again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, wh-
4: what
2: about the story? I mean, what do we what do we think about this? I mean, we come in either. And here's another thing, it's either 27 years since conquest which is what Mandemus says or it's 12 years which is what one of the mutants says
3: right yeah yeah it, it,
4: i don't know well it it mandima says he's lived in the armory for 27 years but the yeah. mutants says doesn't he say it's 12 years since the bomb
2: was it the bomb? That's what or the I fight?
4: That's what I thought. So I
2: thought, okay, so maybe maybe there's a difference. Of... There's a
4: difference in time there. The, so yeah. it could have been 27 years later, which would make Caesar in his 40s, right? Because he was 18 in conquest.
2: Yeah, somewhere around there.
4: Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, right. but what? 27 years, fine. But in 27, let's say let's say it's 27 years. In 27 years, the apes went from not speaking to having Virgil talk about temporal temporal physics <laughs> <laughs> and dressing like the apes from the original film. Yeah, right. That was that was a blow because in in um well, it's definitely a, a different timeline because in mm-hmm. escape, when Cornelius is talking about the history of his people, it's 700 years. Yeah. Between the virus that kills all the cats and dogs, and the apes taking over, and in this, it's twenty-seven years. <laughs> yeah,
1: but I know with this one too. It was supposed to originally. It was supposed to kind of bring it full circle. Yeah. yeah. So, that, so well, they're, back to where Earth was at the beginning of Planet of the Apes.
3: Right. They're they're, fly, they're flying free and loose with continuity on this one. I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's only your intrepid crew with Lord Blood Raw that cracks these continuity. <laughs> I
4: really care about this stuff.
3: <laughs> I really, really only people who
4: overthink this stuff so much.
3: <laughs> hey, that's part of the fun of watching these films, though. I mean, you you watch them oh, like yeah. 50 times and it's like, oh, wait a minute, John Landis what mm-hmm. where
2: <laughs> when? I, l- I looked a couple of times i went back and i this morning i watched the little extended cut which is only 45 minutes long i wish they had just broken it up into scenes you could <laughs> pop through but it's sort of this weird like one long extended scenes um, and i still couldn't catch a glimpse of him unless he really looked very different
1: i saw an interview with him and he was saying that most of his scenes hit the cutting room floor yeah he's just That's a I read. little scene like in the background somewhere right he's in the mm-hmm. corral. it's like a blink and, and you'll miss it type
2: of yeah he's still got a credit but um yeah a
1: credit yeah you got a major credit but yeah jake's
4: and, friend, and it...
2: oh. jake's friend.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> Yeah, this this is my, it's kind of, it's one of those comfort films, you know, not not deep at all. It doesn't leave you with any kind of, um, it doesn't leave you with a lot to think about. It's just a fun, kind of a TV movie version mm-hmm. of an Apes film, but it is just fun. And it's always great to see the Apes and see them interacting. And uh, I thought there was really good chemistry between roddy mcdowell and paul williams yeah, yeah. virgil and yeah, caesar uh virgil was uh just this interesting i guess you could call him an orangutan nerd right <laughs> <laughs> really i mean yeah. he was uh, he was an orangutan science nerd well paul williams he, I,
1: I was seeing an interview with him and he was saying that when he first got there he went into the makeup trailer and he sat down and Roddy McDowell was on one side and Claude Aikens was on the other, and he was just, like, starstruck. Oh, like, yeah. oh, my God, Rod, Roddy McDowell and Claude Aikens. And it's like, I don't think any of them really spoke that first time. Well, he said Roddy would usually just, like, put his head back and fall asleep while well, they put the makeup on. So yeah. he was very talkative,
4: makeup. you know. Yeah. But. Yeah. One thing John Landis said about working on the film is he was supposed to be um his servant but he was in charge of watching cornelius and Ooh. roddy mcdowell would never let him forget <laughs> he was playing his, in, a, in a very kidding way but he was very uh jokingly uh you know would constantly joke about him being being his servant and, you
3: know, <laughs> yeah.
1: well have John. you guys seen that uh documentary making apes
4: yes yeah.
1: yes very good i rewatched it last night and yeah, Bobby Porter, who played Cornelius, he had a whole thing where he was he was looking at Roddy McDowell's makeup. And he's like, there's something different about his makeup. I don't I don't know what it is, you know? So he was like being made up and he told the makeup guy, he's like, Can you make my makeup more like Roddy's? It's like he's more expressive, he can do things. And the guy's like, That's a big, that's like top secret. He goes, if you can get Roddy McDowell to tell you the secret, then I'll do it. So he went and talked to Roddy McDowell and Roddy McDowell said that when he originally got the makeup, he hollowed out the nose. And so he was able to like crinkle the nose. (laughs) That's how he got more expressive. He goes, tell go back and tell him to hollow out the nose because Bobby Porter's whole thing is like, I'm playing your son. I should have some similar characteristics to you. And so they decide that would be the characteristic. So he's like, yeah, just go and tell him to hollow out the nose. And then you can do that. So there's one scene where they're talking and Roddy McDowell does the nose crinkle thing. And then it cuts over to Bobby Porter as Cornelius. And then he does it to like, does it back. So it was kind of. Behind the scenes of the makeup of, and cool. of the planet of the... So if you haven't seen Making Apes, it's, it's a really good documentary on yeah. basically on how they made the makeup and how they developed everything. Mm-hmm.
3: Hey, is it just me, you know, Mr. Mantier's here? I, I didn't really feel the the loss of of Caesar's son. You know, when he's having that little speech with him and saying, "Father." You know, yada yada yada, and then fade to black. <laughs> I, I felt his rage when he goes after Aldo, and you know, <laughs> and doing all his thing and stuff. But I don't know, and, and I'm not taking away from the from the actor who played the kid, but it just something just didn't happen there. Well, I think me. it was what definitely
1: more thinking? of an emotional impact in escape. You know, and oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. You know, when he gets shot and then quite I guess it's probably because they shot a baby too, but um uh, yeah. there's definitely more of an emotional impact in that one than there is in battle. But
3: what'll yeah. happen is whenever there's a sad scene in a movie or or like Mandalorian uh <laughs> Jasmine like looks over, I don't know why, to see if I'm crying, you know. And so the the kid dies and and she's like I just smile at her. I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know again season two grogu touching the mando i've just ugly cried but this one is just like okay next
2: <laughs> well man this is your rating system now you'll have a <laughs> Grogu at five this is a one got some things in between or she
1: it could be like that episode of cheers <laughs> where norm is like he norm gets the job or he his job is to fire everybody and he got the job because every time he would fire someone, he'd cry and, and all emotional. And then he, uh, <laughs> towards the end of the episode, he fires a guy and he doesn't cry. And the guy's like, well, are not you going to cry? And he's he's like trying to force it. And he's like, oh,
2: you know.
1: So, it so could it's kind of a deep thing. You, so you cried out. so much <laughs> that now you yeah, right. can't even force it.
2: They had two interesting cast replacements in a sense. Um, the obvious one was Harry Rhodes didn't come back for McDonald's. So then they have, oh, it's McDonald's brother. Yeah. <laughs> he brought in Austin Stoker. And it's like he just conveniently like kind of knows everything that McDonald would know, <laughs> like, oh, we can go into the archives under the city and blah, blah, blah. But, okay sure it, it was um, very
3: convenient he could still call him mcdonald <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, just, it just so happened he worked in the same
1: building as his brother so yeah it's right it's, yeah
2: yeah was, and he's a youngish guy so if it's 27 years what was he like 18 years you know he's just it's it's like and then it's that thing where like just forget it don't think about it just let it go <laughs>
3: I was talking with some friends last night, and they are like well, you know in this movie this couldn't happen because this and I'm like shit, you guys are like Karen and Bob with those damn ants and then well, you know the it's a movie that, that
2: just, it's you know, legs would break-
3: tw- twenty seven years twelve months just go with it Aldo's <laughs> killing his kid and-
2: they also um <laughs> they couldn't get um. Was it Don Murray back to pay, play uh, Governor Brick? So then Severin Darden says, well, I'm right here. I'll play a bad guy. I was in that movie. I'm, and I'm I am was glad in that,
3: movie.
4: that I'm glad of that. I think Severin Darden um, really, I mean, character actor, but really known for his comedy skills, for his Im- Im- improvisational comedy. Weird. He's House. like a star in improvisational comedy. And he brings something to Culp, not only in this film but in conquest in conquest it's much, much more of a cold bureaucratic mm-hmm. you know when, when he when caesar dies on the there's about to die on the table you know what should i do with him well he's he's wired for electrocution is not he electrocute him <laughs> you know, just that cold bureaucratic and in this one he's maniacal and has that uh, rage now against caesar whom he sees is destroying his planet yeah, he, he I'm, I'm I'm i mean Murray, great actor, and really um brought um a fascistic uh, uh quality to Breck. As a matter of fact, I had read that he he was fluent in German. So he had he he had the script, his lines translated to German. And he practiced them in German and then in his head during the performance did them in English <laughs> to give it that that more clipped, you know, that uh, delivery, which is very interesting. He's a great actor, but I'm that glad that, uh, yeah, I'm glad that uh, Severn Darden played the villain in that. I think he he was, uh,
3: he was definitely one of the bright spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think when yeah, an I, audience, I, it kind of throws you off when you have you know an actor or a performer that's known for a certain kind of you know performance and then they they play the heel and it's it kind of like huh okay but it, it kind of hurts a little more if you will you know what i mean Well, usually he
4: didn't do a lot of comedy films severin darden i mean the one before this film the one i really remember him from is werewolves on wheels <laughs> he played i believe he played a satanic priest yeah. i don't think
3: he was one of the motorcycle gang i think he was a satanic priest something like that i don't it's been years since i've seen that right
1: <laughs> well i thought the other interesting thing though too is when they go back and they watch the tapes of zera and cornelius you know being interrogated and that's where caesar finds out that it's the gorillas that cause you know the mm-hmm. the downfall of man and all that and then when he gets back of course Aldo and the gorillas are basically plotting to take over but you know Aldo's basically as soon as Cornelius dies and Caesar's kind of occupied over there then Aldo's like all right martial law I'm taking over so <laughs> yeah and the basically the gorillas that escalate the fighting with the uh, with the humans in the, in the in the movie.
2: Caesar's a little oblivious at times in this. Uh, he seems kind of like he's reached a, a place where he's um, coasting. I don't know, <laughs> like things have just been kind of going along and he's just like, oh, whatever. It, and it, 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 it was
3: almost like a politician because it's like, oh, this is what I've seen. This is what I and then, you know, his advisors advise him and then he sees It it kind of played out like that to me, you know, and it's like it it affected his judgment, his, you know, decisions that he made. But
1: Well, he kind of set up that whole society with apes and humans and then it got to the point where I think it was kind of pretty much running itself and he was kind of on cruise control Mm -hmm. until until this happened and you've got all these things he suddenly has to deal with.
2: Right.
3: And then... Evil is evil. It doesn't matter if you're an ape or a human. You know, ape will not kill ape. Well, yeah, they will. Um, and actually, what
4: of, what useful information did he get by seeing that the tape of his parents? Yeah. Really, well, I think really the useful nuts,
1: information right? was that the gorillas are the cause of everything.
4: Yeah. Yeah, but he knows, okay, I have to maintain peace. I have to, you know, we're, we're going to work towards a more just society over time, which was his goal anyway but then it's like yeah okay now you've got now you know what happened you know what's going to happen in the future uh, carry on <laughs> <laughs> basically <laughs>
2: did yeah. Did any of you see the extended cut on uh, the blu-ray
1: yeah that's yeah. The one I
2: yeah so it's interesting that in that extended cut we get to see the Alpha Omega Bomb, yeah, and we, we know that those mutants, those people, I don't think they're really mutants yet,
1: no they're just, the ancestors of the mutants. Yeah.
2: yeah, they're just messed up at this point, but uh they've they've they're the ones who have the bomb, and they're already starting to talk about how you know if we we we've got to respect this, we've got to venerate it, and you know this is what will keep us safe, and you know it's I thought that was kind of interesting, I don't think. The placement of that scene maybe would have worked, and that's probably why they cut it, but I think it it was an interesting scene. And i I kind of wanted to see it in the movie. Oh yeah,
4: definitely. Yeah. Men- Mendez the first. And right. Mendez in beneath is Mendez the forty thousandth or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean that scene, that was a good scene. I wish they had put it in. I kind of fault the actor that played Mendez in that scene because it you get the feeling he doesn't believe a word he's saying. <laughs> that that's just my take on it. It's like he he's not he's just not delivering the lines believably, in in my opinion. It's not a great scene, but it would have been an important scene had it been yeah. done a bit better. Yeah, and
1: he he really, you know, he talks about firing that thing over into Ape City not realizing that it's going to wipe them out too.
4: Yeah.
2: Oh, I don't know. I wonder wonder if Culp knew that it would kill everyone. I mean, I think he might have just been at that point mentally where he didn't care.
1: 600 years later, it blew up a whole planet, right?
2: Yeah. Well,
4: they (laughs) kind of figured that they were all dying anyway, right? Because there's that scene where Caesar and Virgil and McDonald are going by these bunks with people laying there looking like they're essentially
2: dying. Well, it's and really when it. they're charging on the city or they're marching towards the city, you yeah. see them like falling over.
1: <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, this
2: is not a potent army force, you know?
1: Well, they all have the radiation poison. They've been living right? in the
4: radiation for 12 or twenty-seven years. For- Something like that, yeah. So they he, he might have figured, you know, We'll be dead in a few more years anyway. Just if we don't come back, just uh, nuke the world. Yeah. Lost
3: Lost opportunity for a sixth film, Planet of the Zombie Apes, or the ape
1: zombies <laughs> of <Zombies laughs> the Planet of the Apes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh boy, somebody will be working on that. Well,
4: now <laughs> this this is a big uh uh tangent, but the film tombs of the blind dead when that came out have, have you seen that it's uh the knights templar come back as no uh, basically see- zombies uh they're they're bearded they're blind because they were tortured to death had their eyes gouged out they come they come back to life again bearded in the robes and things and when that film came out in the united states it did pretty well going to drive-ins and as they very often did for foreign films they retitled it revenge of the planet of the apes and they had this little this little thing at the beginning that said that uh you know ape, apes had ruled the earth for thousands of years until finally there was a human uprising all the apes were gathered were gathered up and tortured to death having their eyes gouged out now today the apes are coming back for revenge
2: Oh my god. Yeah. Beat me to, me
4: to it. That, that little clip is on YouTube that at the beginning. revenge, uh, I believe it was Revenge of the Planet of the Apes. How Amazing. funny. Amazing. Yeah.
3: Yeah. How funny. I'll have to look that up.
4: You gotta admire the uh chutzpah for lack of a reason,
1: right? <laughs> hey, at least we got it in the episode. Who says we're not complete on this stuff? That's right, <laughs> I mean, damn this, it.
4: <laughs> we overthink this stuff so you don't have to. <laughs> No. And on that, that note, this i a... <laughs> <laughs>
1: don't have to hear from Don about that.
3: <laughs> well, I'm going to have to definitely check that out. That, in fact, that if is you funny. Watch,
1: it's funny because if you watch making of the making of the Apes, Don has a couple pretty good scenes in that one. Well, well, Bishop—he's like in a couple, yes. at least a couple scenes there.
3: Yes. Yes.
2: Shout out to Don
3: right Shout out to Don as
4: Um, as...
2: I had the weirdest thought watching this, too, that when seeing the the mutant army air quotes, um, it's like very pre road warrior, like low budget road warrior, you know, the little assemblage of vehicles and like the school bus because it's I had that feel it's Mm -hmm. so it's so sad, but, you know, it's sort of like the remnants of what they had left.
1: It, I was it's really like it, hoping are... it was school buses and all that, they put a few more spikes on them and things. And...
2: Yeah, they'd have to punk it up a little bit.
3: Yeah. Had, had Karen and I done that Road Warrior film mockumentary uh, back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> but our film was going to be about lucha libre and aztec mummies and yeah.
2: yeah i wish i still had the video i don't know where that went that was pretty good we were filming around the palace of fine arts and, yeah oh well oh well oh wow um and in the extended cut they show a lot more of aldo and his guerrillas attacking uh Culp and his men inside the bus it's a little more violent but it's not oh. <laughs> conquest level violent no.
1: that was good and my favorite, yeah.
2: fight like apes. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, it is cool because you know they're all just laying there like they're all dead, and they lure all the humans in, and then Caesar's basically buying time until finally he tells everybody you know
3: to get up and fight.
2: He's getting back to his radical roots. Uh,
3: Right. Oldest trick in the book, or newest trick in the book, depending okay. on the timeline, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's. A My point. friends were coming up on a certain time mark that we're going to try to keep this episode within. Hmm. Any last-minute thoughts or comments we'd like to make on uh, this epic battle? I think that
4: the the original um, cycle of the apes ended with this film i mean properly from here where were you going to go rather than just tell more stories of that kind that i don't think they were necessarily going to go in the direction of because they already went with a more family-friendly version with this and then after this you've got the you go into the tv series which was again more family-friendly lighter much more watered down than any of the other previous films so mm-hmm. i think it was a fitting time to end the this cycle of the f- five original planet of the apes films and it's a fun film i, I like right. i say i saw it in a drive-in and i think fittingly so because of of the all the apes films this was a drive-in movie <laughs> <laughs> definitely
2: well
1: said hmm. no i i enjoyed it Yeah, it's i don't think you know the I've never seen an apes film I don't like. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) but as the original five, though, I immensely enjoyed every single one to, you know, a different degree. But um, but yeah, I mean, we're here at the end of the first cycle, unless you unless you count the TV show and the uh, cartoon. But uh, which we we will eventually. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, definitely. I you know back back in the day, I never really did the whole Go Ape thing, and I saw all the Apes films in the theater, but not all together in the Go Ape marathon that they promoted. So, um, gonna have to put one on anyway. But
4: <laughs> <laughs> I saw the Go Apes marathon in a drive-in. I yeah, yeah, and so that must have been an all nighter then, oh, yeah, an all nighter, wow, and it's pretty much close to dawn,
3: yeah, you yeah, get the badge, badge of honor, Lord Bloodroth, the eighth badge <laughs> of honor
4: <laughs> it was it was fun it was it was yeah, it was a fun night
2: now, folks could take our podcasts of each episode, they could watch the movie then listen to our corresponding episode, then watch the next movie, do the next episode, and so on, and really enrich their experience.
1: But we cheated, though.
2: We did combine two. We
1: had Escape and Conquest as a double on one episode.
2: That's right. We did a double
1: twofer.
3: Definitely a twofer, but that's okay. That keeps
1: you from staying up all night. There you go. Have I been a
4: part of all the Apes
2: episodes? i
4: don't
3: think, I
2: think so. so yeah yes, yes. I, I think you have been
3: wow and, and you forever will be as we move forward with the new films <laughs> <think in> the- <laughs> at
2: least on this timeline <laughs> at least on this timeline <laughs> on this timeline mr lobo is on the other time
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes
1: we'll have lobo for the tim burton film <laughs> <laughs>
3: And on that note, <laughs> um, we are going to switch gears. Um, uh, some some sad news to share with you all. Uh, if you know about uh, well, actually, Lord Blood uh since you've worked with him before, please uh, let our viewers know about our uh, loss that fandom has recently received.
4: Yeah, uh, it's a huge loss to the horror community, to horror, uh, the study of horror history, to um, the, the, the study of film history. On uh, January first, David J. Scull was uh, killed in a, a car accident, and um, he was just an incredible font of of knowledge. It, most of you would probably know him from the original DVD releases of the universal monster films he did the documentaries on Mm -hmm. those on Dracula Frankenstein the mummy invisible man all of them but um he wrote uh the monster show which is an a a cultural history of horror which is an amazing uh analysis of uh American horror cinema yeah there you go that's that's the cover right there of amazing amazing analysis of horror cinema throughout the decades and how the events of those decades affected or he did um death makes a holiday a cultural history of halloween uh dark carnival which is the definitive novel on um on the director todd browning uh he is the man who discovered the spanish version of dracula after it was thought to be a lost film and uh you know popularized it and had it and, and was the driving force behind having it restored he's the man who restored the line uh, in the name of god now i know what it feels like to be god in 1931's frankenstein originally it was in the name of god and, and an or- orgasmic shudder by calling <laughs> uh, that line was cut because it was considered blasphemous he and uh, don Glute, who was another great fan of horror. Uh, Don Glute had had an original record, found it. Uh, David Skull brought it to Universal. Now it's included in all the releases. Just a a pivotal figure in horror. And we lost him on January 1st. And um, as a tribute to David Skull, um, the Nostalgia Network is repeating the Nerve Wracking Theater's 2023 uh, uh, Halloween special in which i showed um dracula 31 frankenstein 31 and there's running commentary through throughout with uh david skull and i guarantee you um you will learn things about both of those films watching this that that you won't have known before and david was just such a wonderful um generous man with his time uh there's all (laughs) i use maybe at most 25 percent of the actual interviews i did with him uh uh in that episode it was just uh, just an incredible font, font of knowledge wonderful guy he will definitely be missed and um the repeat of the halloween special is next saturday uh 5 p.m pacific 8 p.m eastern and then again at uh, 2 a.m eastern 11 p.m pacific on the nostalgia network it's a, it's a four hour special because it's a double feature
2: oh wow and, uh,
1: Thanks. Yeah. is it available to stream or is it
3: <clears throat> it
4: uh uh the nostalgia network is on uh, roku distro fire stick right
1: um I mean, the, the... The, the episode itself is it available separately to stream
4: no not because of the broadcast rights no hmm. you know
3: this this episode of Planet Eight is going to drop on January twenty second. Oh well, then you you missed it by two days. So <laughs> yeah. hey,
1: it was really good though. It was
3: good. Though. <laughs> That's unfortunate.
4: Unfortunate, um, but uh, yeah, re- rest in peace, David. It's um, he was a great guy. I, I was I felt very lucky to consider him a friend. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely
1: a shock. I met him at Lord Bloodraw's Creatures Con. Had him sign my horror show book and uh and I actually went on Amazon and ordered the Halloween book. I actually had some credits. I got it for free. But nice. that's that should be coming, I think, uh, by next weekend. But um yeah, no, I mean the horror show book I've used numerous times for numerous episodes that we've done just for research. And and yes, I definitely remember him from all the universal documentaries, especially the documentaries and, and uh things he did for Creature from the Black Lagoon for that set. So oh yeah. Definitely gonna be definitely gonna be missed.
4: Yeah, yeah. At, at that Creatures Con I did a panel with him and came off the stage just bouncing off the walls. There is no one that I enjoy talking horror with more than more than him because you can just automatically feel his exuberance for the subject and i'm deeply into it too so we shared this kind of you know
3: bond over that it was just um wonderful may he rest in peace 71 years young yes yes yeah far 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 too early
2: well and the whole way things happened i just drunk driving somebody not controlling their input and crashing into it new Year's. yeah it's just terrible but yeah the monster show is such i i got that book i want to say in like 2010 2011 um the university where i work was having a library book sale so i got a very nice hardback copy of that and i i just devoured that book i had never seen anybody uh write about horror the way he did and the way he contextualized it for the the time it was in just fascinated me and and like bob said i i go back to it all the time you know and especially now that we do the the podcast since we've been doing the podcast just looking up his ideas on things and getting information and yeah it's just so tragic i think the uh, key to his
1: writing was a lot of times you'll read an article or you read a book on horror or science fiction or whatever and the author actually writes in an apologetic manner, you know, like it's really, they'll say something about a movie and then they'll kind of put a little side swipe at it or whatever. But when you read David's books, that love of horror comes through and he's like unapologetic and he just, you know, tells it like it is and tells how he feels. And, you know, it's not like, it's not like he's embarrassed to be writing what he's writing about.
4: Yeah. Yeah, he looks at it from uh, an academic uh, viewpoint, but it's never coldly academic. There's an affinity. A,
3: of a deep love and interest for the genre. Absolutely. And respect. And respect, yes. Yeah. Well, he will be missed. Um, hey, let's get the show uh, going. Um, actually, Lord Blood Raw, we have you uh, with us. Why don't you share with us some... Uh, things that are coming up uh, and where uh, viewers and listeners can find you well as always the tv series lord bloodraw's nerve rack and
4: theater airs on the nostalgia network at its usual time 9 p.m. eastern 6 pacific and then again at 2 a.m. eastern 11 p.m. pacific that's the nostalgia network on roku distro firestick all over the place um i have the podcast lord bloodraw's nerve rack and auditorium which uh, Features uh, the best in old time radio horror, as well as um, uh, Captain Paxar's Star Cadet Hour, which um, uh, features episodes of Captain Zero, Flash Gordon, all of that. That stuff can be found on YouTube. You can find um, all of the stuff I just mentioned on YouTube, in fact, at, you know, LordBloodRaw.com. I'm sorry, YouTube.com slash LordBloodRaw. Uh, and if you sign up on my Patreon at patreon.com slash you'll get um, a lot of bonus materials, including behind the curtains of the Nerve Racking Theater, in which I go a little bit more in-depth into each of the um, old-time radio horror episodes that uh, that I do, give you a little background on the series, the actors, the writers, and things like that, and that's at uh, patreon.com slash Blooddraw. If you sign up there, you're also uh supporting the production of all of the shows i've mentioned previously and you'll get a lot of other bonus content as well
3: awesome thank you very much thank you um bob what yes. what, what, what has come across the chief engineer's desk since last we met what have you been listening to what have you been watching share with us regale us if you will
1: well we were talking before the episode about the fact that uh at least Larry and I finished up Monarch, which uh, we thoroughly enjoyed. and we'd love to talk about the ending and everything else, but
3: <laughs> half of us
1: haven't seen it, so
3: <laughs> Well, have I, to- I will say, I, I was pleasantly surprised and this is one of those barometers in, in the Casa de Caicos. when Jasmine puts her phone down to look at the TV. Something big happened to grab her attention. <laughs> Something big is gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> but I tell you, I was uh, you know, off camera I was talking to Bob and I'm I'm a little more excited about Godzilla X Kong uh coming up in March after watching uh this series, Monarch.
1: And there's yeah there's another
3: little movie out there, Godzilla
1: minus one, which is as of this recording, is just about to pass the one hundred million dollar box office mark which is amazing for a foreign subtitled film and uh this is doing gangbusters and they just released it in Japan in black and white yeah <laughs> and uh because it's that kind of a period piece and it's a prequel basically well, not a prequel but it happens before the 1954 film so they decided to do it in black and white and so they didn't just converted to black and white, Yamazaki, the director, went through every single scene and made sure that everything was tuned in just right. And so we're kind of hoping, beyond all hope, that maybe that black and white version will pop up in theaters over here. Or if not, it'll be on
3: the uh, home video release. You're absolutely right, Bob. I mean, people are like, well, I'll get the DVD and I'll just tone down the color on my tv set no he's going into the textures and and you know the shadows and oh man i i really hope we get that here uh i'll go out and watch it again <laughs> now,
4: on on monarch would you suggest seeing that series before uh the kong x godzilla comes out i mean does it give you more background well, on the film or it takes
1: place between 1952 and about 2017. Oh, 17, yeah. So it's basically kind of a sequel to the 2014 Guzzle. In fact, it opens up very shortly after Guzzle's uh, battle in San Francisco with the Mutos. Okay. right. So there's no Mothra yet. There's no Rodan. There's no Ghidra. None of
3: that. So. A lot of it is how Monarch got started, right, Bob?
1: How it got started and how it got corrupted as it went on.
3: Right, yeah, there you go.
1: And so, you know, it basically, if anything, it kind of leads into Godzilla King of the Monsters and Skull Island would have happened, like, in the midst of
3: all these time changes and things that are in the series. So, I would say you don't have to, Lord Raw, but, you know, it's kind of like you don't have to watch the Obi-Wan series before you watch, sure. like, Return of the Jedi or, sure. you know, something sure. like that. If you do, you get a little extra. If you don't, eh, you know. Okay. Okay, interesting. But I it's see, fun see. And, and and exciting. And Kurt Russell and his son, such a great... Yeah,
1: that's guy. the amazing thing, because Kurt Russell is playing Lee Shaw present day or in 2015, 17, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, his son, Wyatt is playing the same character, Lee Shaw, back in the fifties. Right. So, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, their mannerisms, their characteristics, all that. So similar. So yeah, you can totally believe it's the same character throughout.
3: Absolutely.
1: It's very cool. Um, other than that, um, we did watch uh, Echo.
3: Me, me, which, um, me too.
1: Which I thought was pretty good. Debbie really loved it. So, um, so you know, treat you. You know, it's a good step in the right direction, I guess. Because uh, it wasn't Kevin Feige. I guess it was uh, Iker. Was it the
3: Bob Iker?
1: Bob Iker. It's basically put the hammer down and said. We have to start doing this more for story than message. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: So you know, rather than we're going to make the superhero, we're going to make them. You know, they're going to make them Latina and gay, and you know, it's like no, you do the story, and then whatever kind of character fits in that story, that's what you put in there. But the emphasis has to be on the story because it seems like in a lot of the Marvel films and things lately. The emphasis has been trying to sandwich in all these different types of characters
3: so well I'll, I'll tell you i'm a big fan of the kingpin and 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 i was not disappointed
2: okay i've only <laughs> seen three episodes so.
3: okay we say no more we say no more <laughs> um well you do know one of my favorite heroes was in it
1: yes because he was in the first episode so. okay yep.
3: and we say no more
4: so I haven't
1: seen any of it. So. Uh, other than that, um, I've kind of steered Debbie into starting, we're starting to binge on Touchwood, Torchwood, I'm sorry. Tor- Torchwood. So, uh, yeah, and I, I haven't seen Torchwood in a long time, so I forgot how good it was and how much I enjoyed it first time around. So I'm reliving and enjoying it once more. Cool. For those who don't know, Torchwood was a spin-off from Doctor Who, which I was never really a big Doctor Who fan. But Captain Jack Harkness, the head of Torchwood, he was in like half a dozen episodes of Doctor Who before Torchwood became its own series.
4: And I've, cool. I've never seen any episodes of Torchwood, but it's more of a gothic. No, it's modern day. No, but I mean, it—it it, it, isn't it more of a horror bent to it. I its
1: kind of—it's kind of like X Files or okay, Supernatural okay. or whatever. Torchwood is an organization that is based in Cardiff, over in England, yeah. and there's a a riff that basically brings in all these demons and monsters and whatever. Oh. And you have to deal with them each week. Okay. Later on the series, there were more like full storylines rather than individual episodes, but um, yeah, it's, it's very good. And just as a side, back when they were shooting Doctor Who, they didn't want to, when they were carrying film canisters across, <clears throat> across the studios, they didn't want to have Doctor Who written on those canisters. So they took, if you spell out Doctor Who, not DR, but Doctor, and you jumble up the letters, you can make Torchwood. So I used to say Torchwood on these film canisters. And uh, so when they made this series and all that, or they had this organization pop up, they said, oh, let's just call it Torchwood.
3: Torchwood. Coincidentally, you could spell out sphincter song, but Torchwood was the better uh, decision.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, we were watching Torchwood.
3: And, On that note, Walker, what, what have you been watching or listening or what has come across your desk well, lately, Amazon delivery?
2: Hopefully my dogs will let me talk here. Um, <laughs> what have we been watching? Uh, oh, dear God, now I'm, I'm all verklempt. Uh, <laughs> oh. Yeah, watching a little bit of Echo, a lot of non-genre crap that I'm not really interested in. <laughs> <laughs> um, me too. I am just sit there. I'm like Jasmine. I'm just like on my phone. Yeah, yeah whatever. Um, Reacher. Reacher is interesting. Oh, I think that's
3: the, really good.
2: The first season, I think, is much more entertaining than the second. But mm-hmm. still one episode now shy of. Yeah, because it's coming out every week. So waiting for that. Um, I got to get back on the invaders. I want to. Start watching yeah, more of that.
3: Me too. I've
1: been cranking um, along with the invaders. So we will have an invaders episode coming up once we all watch the whole series. Doing, Absolutely. Trying to
2: do more, get more reading into my life. Uh, so I just finished, I got the Paul McCartney book, The Lyrics for Christmas. Just finished that. That's a fabulous book. If you want any more insights into his songwriting, the Beatles breakup, how he felt about John, etc. Um, very interesting book and I just started a the, we, did, we
1: did tie that into Planet 8 last time mm-hmm. bringing up Magneto and Titanium Man and right. uh, of comics so.
2: <laughs> and then I started a, a sci-fi novel the latest Murderbot book by Martha Wells and the title I think it's System Override um, which if anybody's interested in reading sci-fi I would recommend the Murderbot series it's very good and then I was just thinking ape wise. One of my favorite ape items that oh, I have nice. my lawgiver statue by Mecca. No, NECA. And I don't really remember when this came out, but this was a honking heavy, great thing that I have around. So just sharing that for those of you on YouTube, you can see it. Those of you not on YouTube, just imagine it. Use your <laughs> imagination, kids. <laughs>
1: So those, does it ever are... uh, does it ever bleed or shed a tear or anything?
2: Uh, <laughs> only when I've been eating mushrooms,
3: <laughs> <laughs> or if there are mutants around. Or yeah. <laughs> well, very good, thank you, Walker. Uh, yours truly. This is from Christmas. Those of you on YouTube, uh-huh. this is the new Migo version of Captain Pike. It's based on actor Anson Mount. And Marty Abrams approves.
1: (laughs) I don't approve because the hair is not tall enough.
3: Well, you know, you could always put like a cotton ball on top and kind of fluff it a little, I guess. Also, uh, the ultimate character guide to Marvel's Avengers. And this little tome, uh, you know, if you ever wanted to know the difference between Loki and Machine Man... Uh, This is the comic book Avengers.
1: I'd ever crossed my mind before.
3: Yeah, well, you know, those of you on YouTube watching on YouTube. And if you're not watching on YouTube and seeing these fun pictures, log on to YouTube and subscribe. Uh, Veil and Venom, if you ever wanted to know. uh, Anyway, I'm having a lot of fun with this book. And, you know, watching the watching the shows that that we uh talked about already which has been a lot of fun looking forward to our brand new episode coming february 8th uh but until then lord bloodroth thank you again very much for joining us sir thank you always a great pleasure to be here thank you so much yes and uh you know there's there's another ape movie coming out this year so who knows (laughs) we may need to beam you back over to uh planet to discuss Gladly, I am
4: based on the trailer I am very much looking forward to the next film indeed
1: and we still have that cartoon and that TV show
4: and oh that is true that is true and rise and uh Dawn more
3: we we have a plethora of apes to discuss Mm -hmm. uh any last minute words any thoughts before we sign out we are living in a golden age for the genre agreed
4: the incredible godzilla content ape content star wars content star trek content,
3: and everything in between
4: and everything in between yeah Yeah. it's it's wonderful you know pick pick and choose what you like and uh and
3: enjoy it because you know we're we're in a horror
4: science fiction golden age
3: and you know, and just because someone doesn't like what you like doesn't mean you shouldn't like it, right? Love it, support it, right? That's your right, absolutely. And and share it with other people because you never know who's going to be like, oh wow, well, I didn't know about that. Let me let me check that out, or let me. That, that's why we do the sensor sweep is just to share with you guys things that that you know we dig. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the beauty
1: of it all is that if you don't like the new stuff you have total access to all the old stuff. Exactly. Whether it's exactly by disc or streaming or whatever. Last night I watched uh, the latest episode of Creature Features, and they had an Irwin Allen movie, The Flood.
3: I'll Which have to check that movie. out. It's, it's on the Robert list.
1: Hull was in there, Marvin Milner, and Carol Lindley. A lot of, a lot of stalwarts. From, Roddy McDowell was in it.
3: Roddy McDowell. Yeah. <laughs> cool all right my friends thank you all once again to you out there listening and supporting us thank you take care of yourselves be safe until we meet again this is planet eight signing off peace out on that note this will conclude this transmission from planet eight we would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at wwwplanet where you can get more information on this episode's topic.
2: For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast.
1: Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash
3: planet podcast We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8, signing off. End transmission.
0: By George, he's got it. It is the end.